Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Six seconds to go. Comes in the Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. about where's the outline uh and this is the first time that i didn't do that and i haven't even really thought about what we're going to talk about so. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome welcome to our, my normal podcast um i actually you know I, I wanted to ask you since you do social media for the nba uh like do they make you be super obnoxious about making sure that we all are aware that John Morant had almost dunks and stuff like that. Like, is that, is that a memo you get just, just to force feed John Morant content down our throats? Uh, I will say that like, it's mostly like a response to what people want. Right. And I think there was a time that people were really into like that side of jaw. And once the feedback starts getting like, okay, like we get it. Like, has he ever like made a dunk? Um, <laughs> we kind of pivoted away from it. So I, I think with Jaw, and it, what's funny though is like Jaw actually did start catching bodies this year for like the first time. Um, so I don't know if that's like growth on his part or if he realized like the missed dunk shit was getting old. I don't. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I think Jaw himself is getting old. Uh, he's just one of the most corny players I think I've ever been told as a star. Um, but before we get started, I would like to announce the Strickland does have a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. It has many tiers. a $6 tier. That gets you access to this podcast every Friday that I do with Prez, Pod Strickland. Uh, you also get access to the mailbag that I do every other week with Jeremy and Drew. Furthermore, you get access to the Strickland Discord where we talk about the Knicks all the time, 24-7. Uh, there's live game chats. It's a fun time. Uh, there's further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to weekly articles by the wonderful Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best Knicks writers in the business. You also will get access to my solo podcast, Rick and Roll, uh, where I yell about the Knicks quite a bit. Uh, even more if that's something that you're interested in. Uh, there's further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier. Those get you access to a variety of further things like merchandise discounts, live watch parties, listening in on podcast recordings, even potentially hosting a podcast yourself alongside us one day. But whether you choose to subscribe or not, 
None of this would be possible without you. Your support is appreciated. And without further ado, let's talk about the New York Knickerbockers. I was very happy that Memphis was uh, kicked out of the playoffs by your Warriors. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about the Warriors. A little bit. Uh, but I think, I, look, we're recording this uh, Saturday morning, so the day after uh, what was a pretty epic Game 6 victory by Miami. Uh, Jimmy Butler just... Man, what a player! What a what a performance! Um, one of the, I mean, that's that that I think is up there with some of the best playoff performances we've seen over the last few years. I mean, the only one, honestly, off the top of my head, that I would say is hundred percent better than this or than that was yesterday was probably uh, Giannis's closeout game in the finals last year. Um, but wow, I mean, forty-seven points on twenty-nine shots. Nine rebounds, eight assists, four steals. He played forty-six of the forty-eight minutes. I, I honestly just can't say enough about what he did yesterday, uh, carrying that team in a lot of ways. I mean, he outscored basically like <laughs> the rest of the starters had. Let me just do this real quick. Thirty-one. They had forty-eight points. He had forty-seven. So, and, and, um, and to yeah, that just, point, like I, I feel like Butler's stats, like. We can get into this in however, but like Butler's stats mean a lot more to me than other guys' stats. Like if if we're going to talk about the Warriors, we're going to, I mean, we are, and we're going to talk about Luca, and like Luca could have that stat line and it would mean so much less for well, the like, impact he had on the game. So I think what Jimmy has kind of grown into uh, and he still struggles with this at times, and because it is a hard thing, is like he is very okay with letting other guys do their thing, um, and kind of being more of a facilitator and all that kind of stuff. Um, but like, what that game required yesterday from him was to control the pace and and really dictate the game uh, throughout. And I like I always go back to this game because I it's one of my I think one of the best examples of this um, in a game where like I, I think it's safe to say I don't know I I assume you would agree with this that as the series has played out Boston is a more talented team in their rotation whatever one to eight one to nine than Miami is is that safe to say Yeah for sure I mean it's it's like. Boston doesn't really have, like, if you go through their Smart, Brown, Tatum, Horford, Rob, and Grant Williams, at least those six is, like, you you can put together some five-man unit that's just, like, flawless as a two-way unit. Yeah, Um, and I think Derek Derek White has been awesome for them in the series, I think, for the most part. Um, Yeah, he's, like, the one guy who you can attack a little bit, but then, like, for Miami... Like you can't even get to a five man lineup without someone to attack, uh, or without like someone who's kind of an offensive zero. Yeah. And and I think like the the example that I think like best is most similar to this is that Raptors uh Sixers series from twenty nineteen. Because like if you go back and just like look at that series, and I, I love Kyle Lowry and like I think Fred Van Vliet's a hell of a player, and Siakam was really good. But in that series, like, Siakam was definitely still in his, like... 
I mean, I think there's something to the idea of that team kind of grew into that playoff run. Um, and I yeah, think in yeah, round yeah. two, yeah. And I think in round two, like they were still feeling some of those like ghosts of Eastern conference playoff flameouts past. And Kawhi had to carry them, especially in that game. I mean, that game seven is like insane. If you look at the box score, I think he had 41 on 39 shots off the top of my head. It's like an 84, 83 game or something like that. 86, 83 maybe. So he's like basically doing everything. And, you know, Jimmy had a bit more help yesterday than, than Kawhi had in that game. But the idea of like from the opening tip to the end of the game, this was just the Jimmy show. And it was yeah. like, and it, and it had to be. And he did it in a way that is not like Luca, where, and I, I don't know, it's like a very hard thing to differentiate because it'd be, it would be wrong for me to say that Jimmy wasn't ball dominant yesterday, that they weren't playing a very like heliocentric style. But if you look at where he's getting his points and how he's operating, like there is a diversity to where his touches are coming and how he's scoring. Whereas when you watch, you know, Dallas, not even just in the Warrior series, but throughout the playoffs, like it doesn't matter. Like it's not just Luca either, right? It's like even when Luca is off the floor, when it's Brunson or Dinwiddie, they are all playing. It's it's like a group helio system, basically. It's just like we're gonna take turns doing this like high pick and roll mismatch ISO shit. Like that's yeah. what they do. And it's I don't not on the player. It's like a system thing. Yeah, and and I don't like. I don't think that's like especially for a first year coach with that team. I don't hate that. Like I, I don't think it's it's wrong for him to have leaned into it, Jason. And I mean, Jason Kidd, like, cause it was clearly like a tactical choice that he's making. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I understand it at the same time. I just think there's so much evidence at this point that like you are very, like there is a ceiling to that team. And other than LeBron, who is LeBron, <laughs> like I don't, I've not seen a team even get to the finals playing that way, right? Like, like I think the only thing you could go back to, and this is such a different era and a different time, would be like Allen Iverson in two thousand with the Sixers, right? Like right. And that was and, a, that was not a great offense. Like that was a defensive team that just needed him to like keep them above water offensively. I will say though, on the Butler point, like it's. That is a lot of it. Like, it is the fact that his touches, because I would argue, like, they, even last night, like, their offense did not look heliocentric at all. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, I, I was, I meant, I was thinking of it more like it was heliocentric in the way that, like, Butler had to do the scoring. But yeah, it's yeah. not like, it's not like he's operating at the top of the key exclusively, just mismatch hunting or something. Right. Yeah. Like, they, they needed to get the ball to him when they needed a bucket, but they got it to him in so many different ways. Um, they would like attack and then get it to him late in the clock. And it's like, why not save the ISO for like late in the clock instead of starting your possession that way and seeing what else you can get? Cause they obviously did get other stuff. But the other thing I want to say on that is when I made the comment about like his stat line versus Luca's and his being more impactful, it's also the, like the nine rebounds and the eight assists. It's like, mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. watching Luca like more closely in this Warrior series than I had all year, um, Luca's not a good rebounder. Like he's just not. 
Like, the Warriors controlled the glass in that series, and they're not a bigger team than Dallas, and Luka's supposedly one of their best rebounders, and, like, Andrew Wiggins dominated him on the glass, and Andrew Wiggins is not supposed to be a good rebounder. He he can be when he's locked in, which he never was in his career until recently, but, like, if Andrew Wiggins is dominating you on the glass, I don't really care that you can average nine, ten rebounds a game, like, over the course of a season or a series, um, because that's not what rebounding is about. It's not about, like, when teams are just, like, getting back on defense and you grab the ball coming off the rim uncontested and you do that 10 times. It's about when you need to win in the postseason and every possession is crucial and there's, like, game plan adjustments, like, oh, we're going to crash against this team. Can you win that possession battle? And if the answer is no, you're not a good rebounder. So to your point, I'm just looking at their playoff numbers. In terms of contested rebound percentage – Powell, Finney Smith, Kleba, Bertans of their like uh, guys that were actually in the rotation had higher contested rebound percentages than Luca, who is at 27.9, which is barely above Spencer Dinwiddie, Reggie Bullock, Brunson. I mean, to your point, like the raw rebounding numbers that Luca puts up do not, they're not in line with like his actual qualitative ability as a rebounder. And this is, this is something that like I, I hate when people throw out the rebound stuff with players, because it's like, do you really think Luca is a better rebounder than Brooke Lopez? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. no. Like, he, he's absolutely not. And it doesn't matter that, like, like Brooke Lopez is one of these guys, right, Who th- and his brother, Robin Lopez, both of them, throughout their careers, they've been, like, six, seven rebound-type guys, and they get labeled as, like, I think people have come around on this now, but they were labeled initially as, like, not good on the glass, and then you'd watch it and you just like, okay, so they're just boxing out and they're letting other guys get boards. And that's like what de- – and I get that's like a systemic systemic choice that like you want other guys to box out so Luca can get the ball and then he can just bring the ball to the floor. And I that, there's value to that. But to your point, like Wiggins owned him on the glass in that series even if Luca is getting you whatever. He probably got like six, seven, eight defensive rebounds per game or whatever the fuck it was. That's not an indication of like – he's doing work on the glass. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, like, I I feel the same way. Like, if you watch Jimmy Butler, like, he's fighting for loose balls. Everyone on that Miami team. But Butler, it's like... Except Bam. Yeah, except Bam. <laughs> about Bam, like, I, I don't understand what's going on with him. Like, watching that game yesterday, I'm like, this dude is... He had four turnovers and zero points at one point. And, like, each turnover, I, like, remembered each turnover because they were all so distinct. It was, like, ridiculous, like, moving screen, like, just dropping a entry pass that was, like, simple. Ca- like, I don't understand what's going on with him. So, um, I feel like... I, I, I Yeah, go ahead. I just want to say, like, the fact that Miami is now has a one home win to get to the finals and he's been that bad would fucking terrify me if I was Boston. Like that's all I'll say. Yeah. I mean like the thing with Bam and I just watching that, like the game he was in, the game happened to him. Like he was in the game, but he wasn't really in the game. He was just like hanging out. And, um, you know, like, I don't know what to make of that. Like, I don't want to sit here and call him fucking, you know, soft or whatever the fuck it is. But like, when you're watching Jimmy and PJ Tucker uh, just like put their bodies on the line, and even like you know 
Lowry's not 100%. And he was out there. He gutted it out yesterday. Look, he had a, like we, we praised Jimmy a lot. Lowry put up 18 and 10 in a close, in a elimination game. You know, I think with a hamstring that's clearly not anywhere near 100%. Uh, and I've been really critical of Lowry in this series because he's been so unaggressive. And like, I understand he's hurt, but it's like, dude, if you're coming off the screen and there's nobody within three or four feet from you, you have to pull the trigger at a certain point. And he did it yesterday. You know, he deserves credit. He, he played really well. That was like, that. that is the Kyle Lowry that Miami thought they were signing, right? That's the one, that's the guy that they signed to try to put them over the top. And he was he was great yesterday. But to my point is like, these guys are battling out there. I mean, even like Caleb Martin, right? Like these guys are just doing everything they can. Gabe Vincent, Oladipo. And, and I don't know what is going on with Bam because that was like, this is like two straight games now. Uh, where he's just been three straight, really, going back to game four. Because game three, he was awesome. Uh, and then game four or five, and yesterday, I mean, I don't know what's going on with him, but he has to turn up. Like, they got, like, again, they got 47 from Butler. They got 18 and 10 from Lowry. I thought Struess had a nice 13-point game, not the most efficient, but I thought he really bounced back in the second half of that his, game. His game was better than that stat line. He he did a lot defensively, and like you said, he, he was – most of that scoring came in the second half when, like, things were getting tight. Yeah, and, and, and Tucker's – I don't even care about his offensive numbers. Like, that's – that dude is just – like, uh, he's a guy who, no matter what – how limited he is, he is giving you everything, and you just ha- – like, you just accept that. It's completely fine. Um, but, like, you're not going to get much from the bench here, right? Like, Oladipo has struggled, I think, with Boston size a bit. Um, Vincent – is whatever he gives, like whatever Vincent and Martin are giving you is just a bonus. Right. And so like they desperately need Bam to show up in game seven because you cannot, this guy can't have six points. Your number two option cannot have six points in a fucking elimination game, which is what happened yesterday. So for them to win that game yesterday, I mean like the heat culture stuff is so fucking obnoxious and annoying. And it it, like honestly feels a little like, I'm being told about, you know, make America great again or something. Um, but like that was what that's like what you're talking about when people talk about heat culture. That game yesterday, they gutted that out. Um, they've had a couple of those games this series. The game three win was insane. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about this. I think Spo and like I also want to say this about Boston. Like, look, I love shitting on Boston and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and all these guys as much as the next person, more than the next person for sure. Um, but like, I, f- I found the commentary on every time the Celtics lose, I don't think it means that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have these like horrendous flaws as players that are like, like I don't understand the conversation around these guys. Cause it feels like every time they win, they're Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. And then when they lose, they are, you know, never gonna cl- like they're never gonna get there. They're never gonna be good enough, and it's just bizarre to me. Like, like yes, they turn the ball over a lot, and that's their limitations as a player. So, to me, that's not like they aren't good enough. That's like this is just a function of your roster. Like, if they are driving your offense, you're gonna have to deal with these games where they have high turnovers because neither of them has a hand like elite handle. Neither of them is naturally geared to being uh, like a like a high level, high read facilitating type of player. So they're going to have moments like that. But like at the end of the day, Jason, if, 
I told you, yes, he had seven turnovers, but that Jason Tatum would give you 30 points on 12 fucking shots and that Jalen Brown would give you 20 points on 13 shots. Like, you would be like, okay, that you have every chance to win this game. Like, so can they do more? Can they play better? Absolutely. But, like, Marcus Smart went 4 of 15 for 14 points yesterday, and he was jacking up threes like his life depended on it. One of nine from three yesterday. You know, Al Horford, one of six from three yesterday. I'm not even blaming Horford because, like, he's been so hot in the playoffs that at some point that regression was going to happen, so maybe it's happening right now. But but to the point, like, they got nothing from Horford. They got nothing from Grant Williams. They were both in foul trouble all game. And Grant was – I absolutely hate this guy, man. Like, one of the most annoying players who has weirdly become, like – fetishized by NBA Twitter because he does all the small things or some shit. I mean, like, he, that went back to his draft days. Like, when yeah. he was coming out of Tennessee, people were in love. With, it was him and Brandon Clark in that draft. Like, NBA Twitter would have told you those guys are both top five picks. Um, oh, and, yeah. and to their credit, like, here's the thing with that type of analysis. Like, people will look at how they both become, like, key players on good teams and say they were right. But this was always their ceiling. Like, that's, that's the thing with it. Like, everyone, I think the league understands that these guys were going to be useful. Um, but you're just looking for something a little more than that when you're drafting in, like, the lottery. That being said, I, I, could, I could see an argument that teams were lower on them maybe than they should have been. Um, I, do, I do, what you're saying is making me think about something I've been thinking about a lot recently. And it we kind of hit on it a couple of weeks ago when I was on the pod, but it's basically this idea of like, I just feel like I know what a, a title team looks like when I see it. And I've been thinking about that a lot with these now three, but four final teams. Um, and just like, if you look back at every champion for the most part, there's, there's very rare exceptions, if any, honestly, but like, you can kind of always see when you look at the roster in retrospect, like that, like imagining, okay, like you think back on the Hakeem Olajuwon Rockets and it's like, yeah, they didn't have a lot of help, but you look at some of those role players and you're like, I get why this guy was still like part of a championship team. Like there's, there's just like winning DNA, like pulsating through that roster. Um, And I think about that with like, who like Dallas just was never going to win the title this year. Cause they just don't have that at all. Like, whereas if you compare it to like the Dirk Mavs, it was like, yeah, that was also kind of a one man show, but like I could see how Jason Kidd and Sean Marion and Tyson Chandler, like give you like kind of this championship DNA on your roster. Right. Um, and I think about the heat in that sense where like a lot of people did not expect, I, I would say almost everyone did not expect the Heat to be one home win away from the finals this year. But then you look at their team and you're like, Jimmy Butler is a fucking winner. Kyle Lowry is a fucking winner. PJ Tucker, like, those guys are champions, first of all. But Lowry is, like, the most frustrating player with that label, though, because his down, like, when he has bad games, they're the worst bad games. Like, they are so bad and you're like why did i ever believe in you i can't believe you're doing this to me yeah yeah i mean maybe lowry's reputation has gone too far in that direction but like he did he has done it and just so many guys haven't right um and i have to say like i i put that lens on it 
the Warriors obviously have the most of that. But then, like, I look at Boston, and I'm like, I don't know. Like, this, they've pro- they probably are the best team in the NBA this year. Like The Celtics? On, yeah. Um, I would say Milwaukee when Middleton is healthy, but like, yeah, yeah I mean, it's 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 debatable, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with with that too. But like, I when I put this lens to it, it is a little harder for me to see where is this a championship team, and that's less about the role guys in this case. Like, because I can see Marcus Smart being part of a title team, I can see Horford, um, I can see Grant Williams if he's your like seventh best player or whatever. That's fine. But I, it, it does start to feel weird, kind of like for Phoenix last year. I, when they were up 2-0 in the finals, I just started to feel really weird. Like, is a Chris Paul, Devin Booker top two really going to be a championship top two? Um, and it wasn't. And it kind of just made sense that it wasn't. And I'm kind of feeling that way about Tatum and Brown. It's like not a knock on them. They're both great players. But it just doesn't make as much sense to me as like Jimmy Butler. I think so. I think like the that that is a good point, and I want to say this too. Like, like Tatum is twenty four, and Jalen is twenty five. So, like, I agree with you wholeheartedly that if you're just talking about who's the best player in the series coming in, I'll be honest with you. I was like, I think it's Tatum. But as you're seeing this series play out, I think it's pretty obvious that it's Jimmy. Um, and like, that's not a knock on Jason Tatum. Like, Jimmy Butler is, what, he's 32, 33, whatever the fuck he is. He has been through wars. He has he has years and years and years of experience building to this point. Um, like, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they're not finished products. They're going to get better from here. And this is their first time, really, I would say, as, like, clear-cut the number one and number two options on the team. I know we can go back to the bubble run and say they were, but like that was a weird team where you still had Kemba. Like they had Kemba on it, who was good before he got injured, and then he was bad in the bubble, but like whatever. Um, and then Hayward was still there, so there was kind of like a weird, you know, push and pull of like where does Hayward slot in and what's everybody standing here. This is very much like their team. This is their team. They are the two best players on it. That is a different type of pressure, that's a different type of attention, and that's a different type of responsibility that you have to carry. And it is okay that at 24 years old, Jason Tatum might not be able to do it. Like, it is okay if Jalen Brown at, at age 25 maybe isn't good enough to be the number two on a title team. Um, and, and really, like, I think – and this is where I, I hate doing this because I love to shit on Boston, but I actually think they did a really good job of building this team this year. Like, this is where I think Brad Stevens deserves a lot of credit, where, like, yes, they didn't get the high, high-level point guard that – I think would really tie everything together for this team. But like making a move to get Al Horford, who like, let's be real. That move was made for salary cap purposes in in terms, in terms of like what the priority of that move was. But I do think that like they, like he knew Horford as a player. He knew Horford has the ability to kind of, I don't want to say run offense through him because he's not that dude anymore, but he helps kind of like facilitate offensive actions. And so I think that was a good move. And I think that, helped them on the margins um, in terms of like smoothing the offense through. And I also think they deserve credit and he deserves, and Brad Stevens deserves credit for making the move for Derek White that they did. And because like, is he a star point guard? Is he like, no, he's not any of that, but he is another dude who can help with the burden of overall team playmaking and, and shot creation. And so like, 
I don't know if they're going to win on Sunday or not. I, I hope that they don't, man. Holy shit, that would be wonderful. But, like, if they win, it's going to be because of these, like, like his willingness to give up shit. Like, a, they gave up the 15th pick last year in the draft to move off the Kemba contract and bring in Horford. They moved off whatever their pick is going to end up this year to get Derek White. And, like, his willingness to give up these assets, which aren't... I don't want to call them minor assets in the grand scheme of things, but, like, they kind of are. Like, when you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and these guys are as good as they are, those picks are... They need to be used to put them in the best conditions that you could provide to make this team competitive. And he did that, and he deserves credit for it, because those are exactly the type of moves that I don't... I think you would agree with this, that Ainge just did not do a good enough job of making his last three or four years in the job, probably, where it felt like he was overvaluing what those picks were instead of being like, well, this team is good enough to win. I should use this to move the margins in my favor. And like, I think they deserve a lot of credit for it. Um, and I want to go back to, uh, you know, actually, I'll just let you respond to that entire thing I just said before we move on. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I feel like it speaks to the point that like people love to talk about and I, I do want to get into this at some point. Like people love to talk about comparing individuals. Like talk, like basketball discourse has become so much about like which player is better. And a lot of that conversation has become about like who has less help. And whoever has less help and puts up more stats is the better player, even if he's on the worst team. And it's just like among the many reasons we can get into why that is extremely like reductive and just like doesn't make sense one of the biggest reasons is that winning without fail like i was saying earlier is you have to have a full team to win like there are no examples of teams that just won because of one dude like when you get to the highest levels i'm sorry Derek white could be the difference between a championship and not a championship like people want to act like that's not how basketball works like it comes down to the stars but it just doesn't like like you need a full team because the way that the playoffs work is coaches are scheming like you, you have first of all you usually have the best coaches at this stage and and to that point like I don't know who made the official call on this but Brad Stevens was at least willing to be part of facilitating the move from himself to Ime Udoka who like clearly that team needed a new voice and and he's just done a great job tactically but like that like they wouldn't be here without Udoka. They wouldn't be here without Derek White. And like that is that doesn't fit the narrative of like it's star versus star all the time and like the better star always wins. Um and it doesn't need to fit that narrative because at the end of the day, like the way we're comparing stars is wrong. Like we shouldn't be comparing them in terms of like who does more with less. We should be comparing them in terms of like who allows you know, their front office, their coach to like put the system around them to win. But we'll, we'll get more into that. But like, yeah, I just think that Boston has done the stuff on the margins that like, if you want to win a title, you need to do and and people too often like, just act like that stuff is secondary, instead of essential. Yeah, um, I think yeah, it, it, it's like what you have to do. And I think we like the draft is fun, so it's always fun, and it's fun to be like, oh well, they could have had 
Desmond Bain, but they traded that pick. Like, it's fun to do that stuff, but realistically, like, Desmond Bain, that type of dude is an outlier for that pick. And, like, most of the time, guys you're getting, and most of the time, any rookie you're getting, wherever they're picked in the draft, they're not really helping you win in year one. Like, that's just, that's just how it is. You know, like, I've seen a lot of, oh my God, Golden State, you know, look at these rookies, like Kaminga and Moody. And, like, I actually really like both of them. But, like, they're not the guys that are helping Golden State win right now. You know, like, Moody's had, he had a nice nine-minute cameo in game five. And I mean that not facetiously. Like, he played well in his cameo, but it was a cameo. And Kaminga has had nice moments. But, like, if you look at his playoff minutes overall, he's not been amazing or anything. And that's, like, not a knock on them. They're rookies. Rookies don't help you fucking win in the NBA. So it is okay to me if a team that is already good enough potentially to win a championship is moving picks to move the mar- immediate margins in their favor, even if down the line the guy that they could have drafted at 15 becomes like, I don't know, a high-end starter or something. Like you have to balance the future and right now. And I think like when you have guys that are this young in terms of uh, – in terms of – Brown and Tatum, like your future is kind of them. So investing in now is logical. I don't know. Like I, I just think it's it it is what it is. So um I do want to talk a little bit, go back to uh because you know it's interesting. Like Boston has, you know, they drafted Tatum at three, they drafted Jalen Brown at three, Marcus Smart was the sixth overall pick, Robert Williams was the twenty-seventh pick, Grant Williams was some twenty pick. Pritchard was the 26th or 27th pick. I don't remember which one. But, like, most of this team is players they've drafted. And you look at a team like Miami, where they've kind of just, like, punted on having first-round picks so much. Uh, But it's like they have found value in such interesting places, you know? Like, Jimmy Butler, obviously, a star that they acquired via a sign-and-trade. Bam, 14th pick. But then you have, like, Lowry sign-and-trade. P.J. Tucker was kind of, like, a mid-level signing. But then you have, like, you know, dudes like Max Struess and Caleb Martin and Gabe Vincent, even Oladipo. Like, they just find value in such interesting ways. And Can I, can I make a point on that? Um, yeah. And this is the first time I've ever done a plug like this uh, for NBA social content on this pod. But it just – it. Yesterday we we posted this this graphic that I like just put together the info for and it's just like looking at their roster and where these guys were drafted and it's fucking insane. So Oladipo was the only top ten pick and obviously he came to this team not with the value of a top ten pick but a guy that was like looking for a spot frankly in any rotation. Um, Lowry and Bam were 13th and 14th picks. Or sorry, sorry, Hero and Bam. And then it was like Jimmy and Lowry were end of first round. PJ Tucker was a second round pick. Struess, Caleb Martin, Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent, all undrafted. And that's not like some like, oh, Miami built all these guys up through their culture. Like, that's part of it, but it has more to do with like talent evaluation because these guys had something when they, you know what I mean? And like, I, I just think that everything Miami has done because they were not in a position a couple years ago where you would look at like, if, if all people ever want to talk about, and this, this kind of goes to your age point too, like all people ever want to talk about is 
cap flexibility and assets and like the war chest or whatever in terms of thinking about like who's set up for the future, who's set up for the present, blah, blah, blah. It's like sometimes just having better talent evaluation and better coaching and like, I don't, to me, it's not heat culture. It's more just like the heat program. It's like thinking of like what they've done is they've, they have organizational alignment at like the GM level, the coaching level and the player level. And the Warriors have the same thing. And that just allows you to build better rosters with less quote-unquote assets or flexibility. Yeah, I think like, look, most teams cannot operate the way they do uh, because, you know, uh, like there's a reason most teams can't um, – can't find talent the way they do. Like they clearly have something there internally. Um, and yeah, like obviously the continuity of everything they have going on and how aligned they are as an organization helps. But like there's clearly something they do in terms of personnel evaluation that is not – that it's most teams are not – yeah, it's, it's definitely different. And so like this is not to say most teams should eschew like – having draft picks and trade as many first round picks as they have over the years. Right. But there is something to the idea of like picks are overrated. Um, And, you know, like it's different when you're talking about lottery picks versus late first, you know, like, like I, I, there's been a lot of people, like I think more or less the idea to me with any pick is go get a player that you want, that you like, that you think is a piece of your team for the long term. So, like, we've had this Dallas 23 pick, top 10 protected the Knicks, right? We've had this pick for since the Porzingis trade. I think, like, this is the per- – it's the perfect type of asset that, to me, if you like a guy in this year's draft or something, use that pick to go get him. Like, at, like be that in terms of moving up from 11 where the Knicks have their own pick or to trade back in and pick somebody you like. Like, that is, like – like, ultimately the goal of these assets shouldn't be to just use them when they come up but to go and get players that you like. And that can be in the draft. That can be in any way. And I think that's really what Miami ultimately does is they apply that type of logic to everything. Like, like they are aggressive in the undrafted free agent market. You know what I mean? And I bet you there are guys who tell teams, like, don't draft me. You know, don't draft me. And then they go to Miami because that's, like, what they want to do. Like, I'm sure that happens. So – like they they have definitely like the heat again the heat culture stuff is so obnoxious but like they obviously i mean they've more or less been a competitive playoff team for the better part of what two decades now like and they withstood just like and and frankly like the warriors did the same thing and i think they are the two like premier organizations in the league right now i would love to hear someone argue that like maybe Toronto you've put in that group as a top three, but like to withstand an all-time great player just leaving you for nothing in unrestricted free agency to, to be able to like build back up after that, like that so many what other franchises that that has happened to have been like demolished. Like that, that's just an incredible accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah they they've they've overcome a lot, and I think it's like this always makes it it's always funny to me though 
because one of the reasons people were like, oh, LeBron left in 2014 because obviously there's like nowhere where they can go. And now as the years have gone on, you're probably like, yeah, he probably could have just stayed there and they'd have figured it out because like that's just what they do. Uh, they just find ways. And I think that willingness to always be in the mix, even if it's not clear, even if you're not even sure that they have a path to contention, like that is why guys want to go there. That's why Jimmy Butler forced his way there, right? Like because they know that every single year Pat Riley is going to try to win. He's going to try to win the championship every single year. That's it. There's no other plan. There's no like, like, yes, they might have a long-term plan of like, we want to go acquire this guy in a trade or something. But that 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 long-term plan is never going to result in the short-term goal being like, well, this is just a gap year. This is like, we're tanking this year. Oh, we're rebuilding. Like, there's none of that. There's none of that shit any year, right? It's always every single year. How are we going to try to win the championship this year? The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same-game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Butler is like so, like that's such a good point, right? Because talking about the organizational alignment, like if you could say like what player best embodies like Pat Riley's mentality or Spoh's mentality, it's Jimmy Butler. And so now you have a guy who like, as much as we praised him as a player earlier, like he's not a top five player in the league. You could argue he's a top 10 player based on like how good he is in the games that matter the most. But even then, usually guys who are like at the bottom of the top 10 aren't in positions to like potentially win a championship. But it's that like connection of like this guy playing in the spot that makes the most sense for him. And like, yeah, Miami doesn't get Jimmy Butler if Jimmy Butler isn't wired the way he is to care so much about that. Um, so that's just a huge competitive advantage. And it, it, it also does like, it's funny because you said they, Miami doesn't like, uh, they, they never have a gap year. I, you could argue that the pre LeBron Bosch year, they like, you know, they were looking ahead to that summer a little bit. Um, but the fact that LeBron left... But, so, but that year, didn't they, like, kind of... They had a lot of weird stuff going that year, right? Didn't Wade get injured and, like, that season just kind of went to shit from there? That's true. Yeah, yeah, No, and, and that's... I think that is an exception, right? When you, like... When you make a, a decision to take your season in another direction, um, kind of like Golden State in the 1920 year, that's that's different than, like, our organizational team building philosophy is to like bottom out for a bit. Um, but, but just to the LeBron point, like I just never want to hear ever anything about LeBron being like a victim of circumstance because he left the fucking heat. 
Like, we're talking about this being the best organization, like, the best coach, and he just left. Um, so I, I just I, – I don't care about anything anyone ever says about, like, LeBron's circumstances compared to, like, Steph Curry, who if, – if LeBron was on the Warriors, like, oh, Clay Thompson tore his Achilles, like, I'm gone. Like, that's how LeBron operates, so I don't want to hear about it. Um, Steph never demanded a trade. People were, I remember people in the media, I'm not going to name them, but like, you, you might remember who this is. Like, I, I remember articles like, why isn't Steph demanding a trade? Like, they were literally critical of Steph Curry for not wanting out after that 1920 season. Um, it's just like, that's where we've gotten to, first of all, in terms of how we think about like, players and, and the league. But also that's just like, the lack of understanding, even in the media, of what being like a a great player and a winner is, uh, it's it's like it's honestly fucking sad. We we've been talking about this. It's like it's sad how people fundamentally don't understand what basketball is about at this point. Yeah, it's it's like uh, like and this is where the Luca. Like I you know I will say this too. Like I think it's okay to fetishize Luca's production a little bit right now because he is what he's in his fourth year getting to the Western Conference Finals uh, with that team. Like, look, I like Brunson. I think he's a really good player. But, like, if Brunson's your second option, you get to the Western Conference Finals, like, that says quite a bit about you as a player. You know, like, that. there's yeah. no question about it. I think Luca is a top... He's yeah, he's amazing. He's a top 5, 10, whatever the fuck you want to put him in. He, del- he belongs in any conversation you want to put him in at this point, I think. Um, other than, like, the only guy to me that I would unequivocally say right now is 100% better than him. Like, if I'm building a team, Giannis, that's the only guy. But, like, other than that, I mean, Luka is amazing, so whatever. Um, so I, I, I understand, like, lionizing his performances to an extent. But what, like, this has, like, gone on now for years, and I really, like, I, I'm not trying to scapegoat him, but I really think it started with, like, like weirdly with LeBron in that 2014 finals where it was like, oh, well, his team got his, their shit kicked in, but like, look at his amazing numbers and he couldn't have done any more. And then it, it like progressively got worse and worse with like Russell Westbrook winning MVP because Kevin Durant left and now he averaged a triple double. And then like Harden for years is putting up these historic numbers because the entire system is running through him and he dictates the results of every possession. And like, this is not to say those players aren't amazing because they all are were amazing, at least in Russ's case and Harden's case, sadly, or not sadly, very happily for me at this point. Um, I think we can start talking about them in the past sense. But like, like it's it's always been like this weird thing where it's like, oh, well, look at these, you know, Harden averaged 35 and fucking 10 and whatever the hell it is. Steph's averaging only 27, 6, and 5. Like, like, how can this guy be MVP and this one isn't? And it's like, like, what is the point of basketball? You know, like, what is the point of the NBA, right? Like, the point for any team, ultimately, is to compete and win championships. And how do you do that? What's the best way to do that? Now, broadly speaking, there's so many different ways to build a team, to uh, have a play style, whatever. Like, there, we've seen this over the years, right? Toronto did not play the same way that... Golden State plays or the same way that Milwaukee played last year or that any of these teams are currently playing. Like every team has its own distinctive styles and team building paths. 
But broadly speaking, if you look over the course of NBA history, you do not win with one guy doing 40, 45, 50% of like all offensive things. It's just not conducive to success. And yeah, like, and, and that's not to like knock, like you said earlier, that's not a knock on Luca. Like he's amazing. But at the same time, you can't use that as like evidence for his superiority. That's like, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like it's, and it's like to me, the greatest skill, the greatest skill in basketball is at the star level, right? Can your star play with another star and can. Can they bring out the best in each other and elevate each other's games? And and in doing so, is it easy to play with them? Are they are they not detracting from other guys on their team? And that's not like easy to do. All right, this is not like this is not to say, like even you know LeBron. I think it's 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 hard for guys to play with them. And when he and guys have talked about this openly, Kevin Love has talked about this openly. Like Bosch has talked about this. They had to sacrifice to play with LeBron. They had to sacrifice their individual games, production, whatever, to play with LeBron. But it was worth it because they won championships. And that's obviously because LeBron is so amazing. But like every star, when they pair with another star, they have this kind of figuring things out period. And then you figure it out. And sometimes like that results in neither player necessarily elevating each other, but they just find a way to coexist happily. And I think what sets... Steph apart from, man, I, I want to say maybe any superstar that I can think of is like his ability, his best ability is nobody that plays with him has, like they don't have to sacrifice. Like they don't have to sacrifice because the way he gets his production, the way he impacts the game offensively naturally allows other players to be involved and and get and score and pass and be playmakers. And like, yes, some of that is about the system and and Kerr, like not to take away from that, but Steph is the fucking system. Let's be real. Like Steph is the one that, that is the example. And he is the driving force of why those teams play like that. I would say somebody else that did this to an extent uh, is Steve Nash. Steve Nash was like, he was not obviously as good as Steph, but, and like, that's why it's so funny to think of how Mike D'Antoni's, Houston Rockets teams play versus the Suns teams because I know that like deep down inside he probably hated every second of like leaning completely into Harden and Chris Paul ISOs to death. Um, but like yeah, like Steve Nash was a guy who did this right. Like and and what you can see with those players too, and this isn't to say like like obviously over a longer sample if they are not on the floor those teams will be hurt. They will be worse off for it. Right, Steph's teams obviously over his career is like plus minus and all those numbers are insane. His impact stats are crazy. But what happens when they don't play is those teams still adhere or at least try to adhere to the same style of play and principles. And because of that, like there is kind of an ability to withstand not having your star for certain stretches.
Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New New episodes of Fly on the Wallin' drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallin' wherever you get your podcasts.